And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgans, founder of Marknology, here as today's host of Startup Hustle, covering all things e-commerce, Amazon, startups, uh, you name it. Today, we're going to be talking about how to measure customer experience. Before I introduce you to today's guest, I'd love to give a shout out to our sponsor that's made this entire thing possible. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Canva, where you go to collaborate and create amazing graphic design for free, whether it's a presentation to share an idea, a video to launch your business, or a social post to start a conversation. With Canva, you can design anything. Discover the magic of visual communication and how Canva helps you create a lasting impact today. Visit canva.com to learn more. I'm going to see if I get this name right, just because the spelling looks crazy. John DePippo, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot, Andrew. I'm happy to be here. Got you it. it perfectly. You, you nailed it. Thank you. Uh, you. You'd be surprised how in one minute you can just forget a pronunciation. You see it again and you're like, oh my God. So I, I always like to nail that. So thanks. Um, super excited to have you on the show. We've waited a long time to get you on here. I know you said this is um, you know, not something you normally do. So I'm super thankful to have you on the show and get your story today. Yeah, sure. Um, in in normal startup hustle fashion, I love just starting, you know, getting to know you, getting to know kind of your origins, like how you got into entrepreneurship, you know, uh, you know, your company loyalty loop. I know that that's not your first and it's not the first, you know, the first thing that you've started or been involved in. So let's go as far back as you want. Um, when did you first think about being an entrepreneur or even know what that was? Yeah, it's a great question. I when I think about that, I I think back to when I was a kid. I was blessed by the fact that my grandfather actually had a business. Okay. Uh, he, he had a car dealership, and he was an entrepreneur back in the '30s, selling used cars when that was a big thing. And then eventually, he became uh, a Pontiac dealer. For those of us that remember the brand Pontiac, I do. And so, I I grand up, yeah, perfect. I had plenty of them because I grew up kind of on that car lot. And being around that business, I think that's where I got my first passion for business and watching what my grandfather did and how he did it. That sort of set the stage and that stuck with me. There were a lot of lessons that I learned from him just watching that business operate. Um, when I went to school, so it, actually, let, let me tell you that there was that point when he came to me when I was probably about 14 years old. He said, hey, John, do you want to be involved in the business? And to this day, I regret what I said because I probably want to be an astronaut or a doctor or whatever it was, but I didn't want to be involved in the car business. And I said no. And so at that point, he sold to his partner and, you know, we kept being involved in the business, but I never personally got into it after college, you know, okay. throughout college. But, you know, I think there's something magical there about working in a family business. And so I regret that decision. But you, I, went, I don't know if you know, but Martinology is a family business. So it's, I'm. It's, I'm a lot of people don't, you know, that's not something I guess growing up that the people would recommend that you would hear like, oh, working with business, family is amazing. 
Um, but I feel like what we have here is awesome and um, it's incredible. So it's I, I can echo that. Right? Because if you're, if you're stepping into a business that had gone through all the pains that we know businesses go through and you're able to benefit from that effort, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants, basically, right? Others have been able to do something with a business. Now it's your turn. That's an amazing thing. Most entrepreneurs don't get that, right? Mm. You're really starting from scratch. Um, but to, that's, I think, where the roots of my interest in business and okay. entrepreneurship came from is from my grandfather. Uh, but then it really got honed, I guess. When I came out of college, I came out of school with a uh, computer science degree. Okay. And I literally went into computer science. I, I'm an older guy, so I came out of college in 87. Okay. Uh, so you can do the math on that. I'm in my 50s. But when I came out of school, uh, the computer industry was still very, very young. The personal computer industry was really young. And the reason I went into computer science is I wanted to have an understanding of the underlying technology of what's involved in doing programming and technology, because I had a hunch, like everybody did at that time, that this personal computer thing was going to be big. Yeah. And so I put myself in a position where I got active out of school in a sales role. And my goal was to find my way to an OEM, electronics manufacturer. And I did. Can, we stop, can, we, can I ask a question right there? Like, yeah, sure. So I'm a computer science major. I'm now in e-commerce. I don't use that, but it, yep. I feel like it really helped me uh, as far as like reverse engineering and thinking, you know, problematic um, auditing and editing and, you know, programs, stuff like that. Um, there weren't a lot of options. Even when I was in school, when I started, you know, 2000, I won't say like uh, I got out, I graduated high school in 04. So I think I started college in 05, 06. Um, there still weren't options there. Like it was security, tech, like programming, yep. very broad, you know, very broad strokes. You're learning a little bit about, about everything. Um, I happened to grow up on computers, like really young. My dad was like, uh, we didn't have a lot. We were missionaries. We did all kinds of stuff. But my dad was super interested in computers. Mm. And so he had one at home, you know, um, what was like, I guess when I'm saying whenever you got out of school, what was a computer? Was there like at-home computers at that time? Could so people state, afford it? Yeah, the state of the market was people probably didn't have the personal computer yet. They had earlier computers. Like when I was a younger guy, I remember, you know, early computers like the Commodore 64 and, the you know, those really early variations. But what happened when I was in school is the PC took root. Okay. And the entire uh, notion of open computing you know, industry standard architectures back in the day. And that gave birth to all the peripheral companies and it just caught on fire, right? And as that market developed, when I was first selling computers, the AT was just introduced and they were selling at, I don't know, four or $5,000 a piece. So not mm -hmm. everybody was buying them, but in a very short amount of time, as we all have now learned, uh, the price of computers dropped rapidly and it became widely available to anybody. But the point is that I had a, a feeling that that was a good place to position myself for a career. And so I got involved. And then uh, ironically, there was this electronics manufacturer right in my backyard here in Rhode Island. Okay. And, and the company was still very young, but it was growing quickly. And it was an electronics manufacturer. We were actually building electronics in Rhode Island during the 80s, which was unheard of and highly profitable. Uh, the company was called American Power Conversion or APC. Okay. And if you look under your desk or go into a closet someplace where you have technology gear, Power supply. most likely you're going to find one of our products and our brand APC. I've seen it. And uh, so I was very blessed by the fact that I was involved in that company early on. 
They had just come off their IPO, but they were like 20 million in sales. And so I cut my teeth there and it was a very entrepreneurial organization. We had a really great CEO who had instilled entrepreneurial spirit all throughout the company. And we just operated, even as we became a billion dollar company, we still operated largely like an entrepreneurial, an entrepreneurial place, you know, with that kind of thinking and mentality. Um, so it was a lot of fun. That's where I cut my teeth. And then eventually I went on and did my own startups. Some that did well, some that what did, did not What did well. you do there? Were you in sales? Were you? At APC, I had a lot of different roles. I started off in a sales capacity. Uh, sales role. And then I started opening up new markets for the company, looking at new areas to distribute biz our dev, products. Biz dev. Biz dev stuff. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, then I started opening up channels of distribution. So I took the company into what we called the mass consumer channels, because in the early computer days, they were sold through dealers and distributors. Mm-hmm. But there was a point in time where the large box guys were coming back online large box companies like the Best Buys, the Comp USAs that are, you know, places like that, that became Circuit City. Circuit City, right? All those guys, including Catalog. Now, this is all pre-internet days, mm-hmm. right? So I opened up- I used to get uh, the Micro Center, like, Catalog with my yeah, dad. We built stuff. them because we couldn't afford it to get it done, you know? So we'd go through those catalogs and kind of, like, build out our ideal PC, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally nerdy stuff, and I love it. Yeah, that's I love that stuff. And so, yeah, we I ended up helping to open up those channels. We had to conceive new products to bring through those channels. Uh, so we opened up Big Box. We opened up the, the warehouse clubs. We opened up the computer, uh, large format computer places like the Software House slash CompUSAs, um, and then catalogs. It was, it was a really interesting time, and eventually I ended up getting uh, promoted into the VP of marketing, overseeing our product, product wow. development. Uh, I was an officer of the corporation for a while, and then um, in, then this thing happened called the internet. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember vividly being in a uh, leadership meeting where the, our CEO at the time, he pulled out an article from the Wall Street Journal and read it to us because we were all amazed that a company was going to sell books online. Mm. I think you could probably guess who that company is, right? Yes. And so that's, it was really fascinating and that caught my attention. And so I ended up getting involved in starting up. I left the company and I started up a software company that was focused on building embedded systems to enable non-computer devices to access the internet. Today, it's all commonplace, right? Tablets and phones. Uh, And so we were building software like that. Uh, That was one of my startups that I did. That one, unfortunately, was not a success. Um, First one. It was the first one, and there was. I tell this story because it's a very painful one. But when you're, when at least when I'm looking at businesses, you always try to have a lot of different outs, if you will, right? So you have mm-hmm. your trajectory, you know the path you're on, but you always have backup paths. And I had a number of backup paths with what our services were doing and what we were selling. The one thing I did not anticipate was 9/11. So when 9/11 occurred, it essentially shut down the roadmap that I was operating on, right? Every business was looking at deploying non-computer technologies at the time, right? We're talking about a point in time where you're in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, right? And Mm -hmm. we're selling to OEMs that are trying to figure out how to deploy non-computers, tablets, point up, you know, with very specific devices. And it's at a point in time where broadband was still not broadly available. Mm-hmm. Flash technology was not very affordable. Uh, embedded systems were not the easiest, right? So all that stuff is what we were developing and building. It was pretty impressive. We had a complete stack of software. I, I believe it fit in, oh God, I want to say under under 16 megabytes 
everything with browser, all the middleware, not even smaller than that. But we will work with these OEMs that were operating on their future of their roadmap, right? That section of their roadmap for future devices. Mm-hmm. When 9-11 hit, it just wiped out that entire part of the roadmap. Everybody yep. retreated, went back to their core, and that essentially put me in turmoil. And so I ended up having to put that business down. And it's one of those incredible lessons that you learn from doing startups that you're not going to have a home run every single time, right? You're going to have some failures. You're going to strike out sometimes at the plate. And so from my point of view, being involved in startups and advice that I give to other entrepreneurs, it's really about that batting average. Yeah, let's stop there for a second because I just have like one, you just shared a ton um, and that's fire. Uh, One of it being like, oh my God, the experience you get as a young employee or or an older employee, whatever, working at a startup, you went from sales to product development to biz dev to VP of marketing to creating new channels. Like if you take that to your startup, right, the next one that's yours ready to go because you were, you know, trading hours for revenue at that startup, you know, where, but you were getting so much experience, you yeah. know, and I know you can't plan that, but to like people that are listening, it's like, you can choose where you work, even if you are working a nine to five to put you in a position to be at a place where they'll allow you to grow. And you just can't get that at these, you know, I see a lot of people go to Amazon so that they can leave and it's a stepping like Amazon corporate go there. Amazonians, they become Amazonians once they leave. And so people are like, Oh my God, I want someone that used to work there. Well, at Amazon, Amazon, they're in a silo. I mean, you know, so you can go to a, a startup in e-commerce and get way more information than you'd ever get about e-commerce than working at Amazon. For totally. Example. Yeah. So completely different there. Um, to your thing, I had that kind of fear. Uh, Marknology is my first startup. If you don't count my mowing business, if you don't count uh, like my band days when I was all in as being a professional musician. And you got to count those, Andrew. Those are important ones. Right? Those, those <laughs> count, but like Marknology was my one I went all in, um, you know, and um, now tons of failures within Marknology. Don't get me wrong. Just like failing forward more so. And and I was early in an industry before everyone caught up in regards to like even getting paid for what we do and things like that. Well, the pandemic. Okay. So the pandemic similar to 9-11. Um, in that, everyone pulled back. So yeah, now we're in 2022. But you know, I was growing, growing, growing. And then in, uh, you know, 2020 hit, and we went from like signing new brands and people pushing into e commerce and feeling confident about it to like everyone that was doing it holding, holding back, some companies went under some stopped, you know, if this was an investment phase for them versus like a a making money phase in e commerce, because there's an investment phase at the beginning, they were pulling back. And, you know, in my head, I'm just like, am I going to be okay if I lose my identity that's tied to this business? You know, I wanted to make sure I was going to be okay, like it, mentally, you know, I was already preparing, like, just like, what if they stop paying me? Like, what if, you know, the clients uh, can't get in revenue, they slow to pay, or it's not that I'm losing them, but they're slow to pay, or people weren't signing up. Um, now on the other side of it, e-commerce is blown up and I'm busier than ever, but there was this probably like nine months of time where everyone really pulled back and, um, you know, thinking about pivots, there weren't a lot for me. Um, there was, you know, there is, but like, it's all kind of around the same space. So, um, it could have been out of my hands, right? It could have been something that I'm doing everything right. Or I'm like on the right industry at the right time with the right team, building great stuff. And then still it's just entrepreneurship and you just get hit, you know? Yeah. I'm a hundred percent. And so it's a, a testament to like, you know, to anyone that's gone through that and to come, come out of it. Like, you know, on the other side and be like, okay, I'm ready to go again. Another at bat. 
I think that's the point. I think that is the point is that while we always sit down and build the plan for success, like you said, stuff can happen and stuff that you can predict and plan for, but then there are the things you can't predict and plan for, but ultimately you got to learn from it. Yeah. I think that's a message for every entrepreneur or would be entrepreneurs that, you know, to some degree, I always think of the entrepreneur standing on the edge, looking into the abyss and they have to jump. At some point you've got to jump if you're going to make the commitment because you're all in, like you said, mm-hmm. and you hopefully have done enough planning to know what's going to happen when you jump but some things will happen that you just can't anticipate. But as long as you're learning from it, which kind of gets back to, you know, what loyalty loop does to help businesses figure out feedback. As long as you're learning from the business, then you're going to come up with something valuable that hopefully lets you keep going in that business or apply it to the next one. You have, you have no idea how many businesses like I've worked with through the years where it's just like so surprising to me, owners or founders or people very involved in their business, whoever I'm talking to. And there's just this like lack of desire to be better in their business where, you know, whether it's reviews and we're like, Hey guys, like we keep getting bottles that are breaking on their way to Amazon or, and it's leaking into other people's packages, or we're getting feedback on this, or, you know, we're getting insights. This could be better. Or like, can we, can we, like our photos need to be better. We've only spent five bucks and someone's cousin did them or something, you know, it's like, (laughs) and there's just not this desire to invest into their brand or their product, or their company to make it better. Like, you know, like I'm not trying to exit Marknology, even though there's a lot of people pursuing, because to me, it's like, I haven't been building this to exit. It's not, I've been investing back into the things to make it better, not positioning it for exit, right? In that regard. Um, Cause I, I want to be that, better. Well, that's, that's, you're, you're doing the right thing, right? If you're building a business for exit, then you're probably building it for the wrong reasons. You build a business to solve customer problems mm. and be great at what you do. And then the exit happens automatically if you're building a great business. But if you're building a business purely for exit, you're probably approaching it incorrectly, at least in my opinion. Yeah. Well, you'd be surprised in the Amazon space, at least e-commerce space, there's a lot of that happening, or at least a lot of the mindset towards that. Um, and and I understand that level. I understand there can be like a million sides to, to anything. But for me, it's been, you know, we've invested in areas to make things better that don't necessarily, uh, you know, draw a straight line to revenue or to yeah. ROI or to, you know, KPIs. These are things that we're doing because we, it's the right thing to do for the product or for the people or whatever. So, um, yeah, you're on the right path. I mean, that granted everything you do, you have to put some quantification around it. You got to look at the math and, and the finances. But, you know, from my point of view in, in the business that I'm in, which is helping other businesses deliver great customer experiences by measuring and understanding what they're doing and learning from that feedback. At the end of the day, you've got to do right by the customer, right? You've got to create a wow factor. It's not good enough just to satisfy a customer. You've got to really wow them. You got to, they got to feel like there's a reason why I'm going to do business with you. Yep. Right. And so to your point, if a business is not thinking about how to improve, there's a good chance they're going to be in trouble at some point. Now, the cool thing is an entrepreneur or a business owner, they get to make those decisions. If, if they want to do status quo, nothing wrong with it, but understand the consequence of status quo, Right. There's probably another business that's not status quo that's trying to be the best and they're going to wow customers and you might lose share because of that. And for anyone listening, if you don't care and you want to be status quo, we're not a good fit. I'll just get that out there. You know, like it's just, we're going to be frustrated. Yeah. You know, and I think you just got to find that flow. You know, you got to find like, that's something I'm in is just like, 
you know, we're busy, we're growing, we're doing our thing. For me, it's all about dialing in who our exact customer is, the ones that are, you know, pursuing that that loyalty loop, that are pursuing that, you know, customer customer retention, that want to be with partners long term, that are um that's just what what I enjoy building. I'm a brand builder and brands aren't something that you like you approach haphazard, you know, it's something you go all in on with your belief, with your culture. Um, I want to take you to the next one because I can talk about that all day. I'm a firm believer, but like we were talking about, so that one blew up, 9-11 happened Mm -hmm. and you're like, okay, so what was, what was happening then when that happened? Yeah. We just, you keep going, you look for the next opportunity. And at that point in my personal life, I had two daughters. Uh, We've got, at the time the girls were young. And so I got very involved in their education. Okay. And both of my girls went to a Montessori school. And if anybody knows what a Montessori school is, it's nothing funky or weird. It's just a different methodology that's really about uh, the child, centered on the child and how that child learns. And my wife, who's a PhD in computer science, she's the chairperson at the University of Rhode Island uh, for computer science. She and I, being nerds, we got actively involved in this kind of stuff, right? So I had time and I threw myself at their schooling and their school was uh, it, it didn't go any further than third grade. Mm. And there were a few other colleagues of mine from APC, uh, one in particular, who she decided her child was in the school as well. And she wouldn't it be great for us to start a school that goes beyond third grade. And so she initiated, she was the entrepreneur that started the whole thing, but then she drew others in like me and other, you know, entrepreneurially minded people. And we got a school started out in the middle of the woods because we had to go find a location mm-hmm. and both of my girls were sort of founding students and I volunteered to help and run the school for a couple first few years and cut the grass and do all those things. And now the school is highly successful. It's That's incredible. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a great Montessori school called quest Montessori school. It's in Narragansett, Rhode Island. And I think they've got a wait list and the 150 kids or whatever the number, but it's a, it's a wonderful story. So I threw myself at that. Uh, the best and- things are made. The best things are made by people solving a problem for like people they love. It doesn't have to be people they love, right? But I work with a lot of products and brands and whatever, and a lot of them come from someone trying to help themselves. Like let's say it's a dietary, a food thing, or a supplement, or a, a vitamin, or um, let's say here in Kansas City we have Mobility Design. I'll give them a shout out, but it was made by a son for his dad to help mm. him move around mm. and have a better quality of life, and. Um, or like your kids to get a better education. You know, I'm one of those kids that like, uh, maybe on paper in an American school, I don't test out that well. You know, I was raised in Africa until 2001. Um, but my mom cared a lot and she homeschooled me and she taught me how I needed to learn. Right. And now later in life, it really, it's really served me. Um, but you know, I was reading at three years old, but like, didn't fit in well at kindergarten mainly because I was African. And then, uh, you know, different times in life, like testing out and even the ACTs or SATs, because I came back as a junior in high school. I just like based on the American, the Western system, I didn't look that smart or test out that smart or, you know, get those opportunities. Well, it wasn't until almost after college because computer science, I could even like blink and not even try and pass those courses, to be honest with you. Um, But after college, I found out, wow, I am an, I'm an amazing student. If it's something, if it's, taught to me in a way or I'm learning I'm able to learn it in a way that I can obtain the information and like I'm amazing if it's something that interests me I'm obsessive you know so you know I know that that means like certain things but for me if I hadn't had a mom that 
tailored school towards me, you know, and to solve that problem for me, I don't think I'd be here today. So that's I mean, as story. a father, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, what you did for your kids. And like, I just, I wanted to hammer that, like when you're solving a problem, because it seems like the right thing to do, like those are the best businesses. Yeah. Right? It's still I, lasting today. Right. It's still here today. So. I mean, that's, I think I'm probably similar to you in how I learn and I, but I was taught by the factory. I was in public school and, you know, rows and, you know, trying to fidget and stay attentive, you know, pay attention was not easy when you're young. Made me a troublemaker, and, you know. Yeah, and, but you, you find your way. And I really, I think what happened for me is eventually I became what the, the Montessori program talks about, which is you become a lifelong learner. And okay. I think that's what I do in business, right? You're, yep. If you're not learning every day, you're probably again doing something wrong in business, right? And yep. so in my life, it's always nice to learn new things and discover new things. You never have all the answers. No one does. And so you got to keep learning. And I think, you know, that comes from probably uh, watching my kids and learning about the program, but I think it's innate. You've got it innate inside of you and I probably have it in me. And I would imagine just about everybody does, but you got to unlock it somehow. Yeah. You have your story. You figured out how to unlock it. Uh, but that lifelong learning really matters, particularly in business and entrepreneurship. That's why e-commerce has been so great for me is because it's an industry and a, a thing that constantly is requiring like me to level up. Not the business <laughs> aspect too, right? Building technology and the it's agency always side. always changing, right? It's, e-commerce it's is constantly changing and it's kept me interested for 11 plus years, you know, um, trying to figure it out, trying to understand what some of these awesome creators made with, you know, the Amazon marketplace or, you know, how those things work. Yeah. Um, before we go into the next step after school, I'm going to give a shout out to our sponsor for today's episode. With Canva, you can design your ideas with ease, get inspired with over 500,000 free templates and a rich content library that helps you and your team achieve your goals. Sign up and start designing for free at canva.com. Uh, I was listening to the Canva episode actually on how I built this. There's like a girl and her boyfriend, I think, and they were like in high school. And now this company is a billion dollars in just a couple of years. That's awesome. But she, she just had this idea to solve um, like the Adobe suite and the editing software is so complicated and confusing. And she wanted to make it like attainable for just like anyone that wants to be a creator and can just quickly do some things on their phone. And um, now she has a billion dollar business, but her story very similar in that she was just like, I want to just, you know, like make this attainable. She was like a school editor at high school, I think. And uh, for the yearbook, it was like, I want to make something that's super easy for, for people to do. So Canva, a great, great sponsor for this episode and a topic we're talking about. Um, okay. So school's successful, 150 student waiting list. What's next? Yeah. So let's see. I ended up doing a second tour of duty at APC. That's what I like to say. Cause I, the CEO was trying to move the company into the data center space. So we made mostly power protection devices for the personal computer and networking market. And the whole move, movement was heading toward consolidation to data centers. So he, what he I grew did up is, on APC, just so you know, like in Africa, you have to have uh, battery the power surges. You have it, yeah. yeah, you have yeah. to because of the power problems. So yep. we had them everywhere. I, I, that's one of my favorite things. I'm, I'm still very proud of what we did at APC. So wherever I go, I always look under desks and look in closets and I always see the logo. It's, it's fun. Um, but the thing that he had pitched me on was back to entrepreneurship is kind of interesting in that he identified that the company itself had moved from being an entrepreneurial organization to being more process-minded. And that just sort of happens naturally as a, as a business grows and gets more mature. And when you try to go do the next thing, the next new thing, it's you really hard creativity. to get the organization. And so he basically explained how we lost all the entrepreneurial-minded people or a lot of them. And the pitch was come back and help us to make this turn. 
Uh, and so I did. I came back in and I was doing our M&A work uh, for a while and I was running some divisions. I had to do, uh, we had a business that was was floundering over in uh, Europe that I had to go fix uh, and, and get it back, uh, you know, back uh, profitable. Uh, that was an interesting one. That was a manufacturer in Switzerland. It's a great company. Um, and then eventually we ended up getting acquired ourselves okay. by a large French conglomerate called Schneider Electric. And I stayed with the company for a while. And then I decided it was time to move on. Uh, and I ended up going and running another software company uh, that was brought in to essentially fix or rebrand and fix the company and get an exit for its owners. Okay. Uh, it, it was a great little company here in Rhode Island. Uh, in fact, um, well, it was a great little company and there were owners involved in the company that just had been in it for like 20 years. And it was a time and attendance company. It's a company called ADI Time. Uh, and I positioned the company and you know, found ways to reposition the company, uh, gave it sort of a new lease on life. Um, one of the things that I did early on, which relates to Loyalty Loop to some degree, actually to a, a very specific degree, is that I had a friend who was running a survey company at the time. And I hired him to come in and help me to survey both my channel partners and my end customers so I could get real world data to understand what was happening in the business so I could figure out what are the appropriate moves to make based mm. on real data. And so I did that and developed some methodologies and implemented them. And eventually we sold the business in a couple of years to a publicly traded company and it moves on and everybody was happy. Um, the, the interesting connection there is my friend who had that survey software company at one point had a change in his life and he called me because he knew I had sold this other software company and he wanted me to take a look at his business and help him position it. And when I, I'm kind of like a kid in a candy store sometimes, Andrew, when I look at startup companies and small businesses. And so I looked at his business and it was a recurring revenue business model that he was just starting to implement. He had a product that was what I would consider a sort of proof of concept or an MVP. Uh, and one of my friends, we looked at it together and we decided instead of helping him sell it, we'll just buy it and we'll try to Fix do it something with it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we did. We bought the business and we've been rebuilding it since then. I bought the business in 2016. Uh, the company was called Survey Advantage. Okay. And I rebranded the company to Loyalty Loop, uh, partly because it's more about the value of what we're delivering. It's about helping my customers create loyal customers continually. And that cycle that I believe is a really important cycle, which you've talked about. Uh, it's an important cycle to build loyal customers because they generally want to give you more share of wallet. They generally want to, uh, they're generally your most profitable customers because they're easier mm -hmm. to service. And more importantly, they talk you up in the market. They give you great positive word of mouth and referrals. And it's about trying to figure out how to wow customers and keep them happy and loyal. Like I said earlier, it's just not good enough to satisfy a customer. Not today. You've got right. to do something really special where they really feel like you're enhancing their life. And that's not always easy to do from various businesses that are exist, right? You know, we service all kinds of businesses. And when you look at it, you have to ask the question, gee, what do I have to do to really wow customers? And it gets back to, I think what you were talking about, what I was talking about is you got to learn, you got to listen and learn and figure out what you can do to make changes and improvements that will keep your customers really ecstatic to do business with you. And be open to it and be and embrace the feedback, right? Like so, totally. so many people see the feedback as being like, oh my God, I'm gonna have all this work to do. They're gonna like point out my flaws and they're like, you know, it's, it's, it's this fear of it. Um, but when you start embracing that, it's, it's a game changer. Um, 
you know, and I think Amazon is a, is a platform that had that kind of built in naturally. Right. And they've had their things that were being gamified and they fixed that. Honestly, they, they put in a ton of effort to, to keep it as, um, authentic as they can but amazon was the first marketplace like big website big retailer to come in to care about the customer first mm. you know uh etsy was about the makers ebay is about your dad making it easy to take pics in his garage and sell stuff like you know they, those were built for the seller the maker uh you know and amazon was built for the customer like everything about it. that's why i have a business is because it's super hard on the seller side or on the brand side to yeah. adhere to all of amazon's needs um but it was one that kind of taught me to think like that you know customer first um i was I always try to put myself in the mind of amazon right like the machine and just like how is this machine thinking and like you know what's it rewarding and what's it what's it looking for as a negative data point you know and um that feedback loop was built in and it's just like it's so important on the branding side, I think it's way easier to come in as a consultant or like, let's say an agency coming into a corporate company that doesn't have that creativity anymore or doesn't have that entrepreneurial family, like as part of it. So we come in, we bring that to them um, and working with them is way different than working with like, let's say the maker or the creator themselves, because that feedback loop for them is so painful, mm. right? Versus like when they're a bit removed from it. Yeah. Um, there's so many makers or creators I've worked with where I'm just like, guys, we need to change this. We're getting like, you know, we're getting customer feedback saying that we need to change this. And they're just so attached emotionally to like whatever they made, you know, um, they can't see. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a challenge. I mean, if you're not open-minded and if you're not willing to accept customer feedback, you're going to have a problem. Um, which you know, means I, the business is only as good as its leadership, right? Yeah. So it's like it, it goes up the food chain from there. Well, it's, it's interesting because you know, I work with big brands. I work with franchise networks. I work with independent companies. You know, Loyalty Loop pretty much sells into the small to mid-market. That's, okay. that's where we're positioned. Um, and, you know, you can look around and large, large corporations all over the planet do the kind of work or use services like what Loyalty Loop provides, right? Engaging customers, getting feedback. My view having been in big companies is the same processes and the same services that those huge corporations use are needed in the small to mid-sized business just as yeah. well. Right. Yeah. But it has to be appropriately positioned. So what I sell to a customer at $99 a month on a subscription is the same thing that some huge corporation is going to pay six and seven figures for. Sorry to break that news to everybody, but it's the same basic service, yeah. but I'm trying to bring it down to the small to mid-sized companies so that they're armed with the same data so they can make the same improvements that those huge corporations have teams of people that can spend time doing. That's happening in the Amazon industry as well uh, in regards to just like the software that's being developed. And, you know, these things exist for big, big companies and the brand, some of the brands coming to the space, but like that doesn't exist in our industry yet. You know, there's a lot of opportunity there and you're seeing it just kind of pop up. Um, you know, all around a big move I saw is I was trying to talk to all the Kansas, you know, I'm a mentor at my local university. Um, and I'm always talking to students or talking to creators and, you know, the video space. So the video space, like, even if it was four years ago, talking about it, I'm like, guys, like, you understand, like a great brand video or 10k 20k, if you're trying to get something great, like, you mm -hmm. know, and the equipment's gone cheaper, and everything's gone cheaper. But it was like, what I do know is that there's a ton of brands that would pay 3k or 4k for an amazing video or 5k, you know what I mean? Like that range. Yep. And it was like, I could literally send you business all day, every day. And I think you guys would just clean up because every Amazon listing needs one, every web, you know, everybody needs video and um, you could just clean up versus selling that one big ticket to, 
the bigger brand that can mm. afford that, right? And then you have to stand out as being professional enough to get them and yada, yada. And to me, the video space, I'm not a creator, but I just saw this huge opportunity for the right the right artists, the right creators to jump into this mid-market or the smaller one because the brands that are trying to brand build on the, on the smaller level need the same thing. They need the same quality, 100%, right? 100%, yeah. Uh, you just we have to figure out how to take that cost of a 10k or 20k video and, and position it, you know, for the smaller guys. Yeah, that's that's essentially what we're doing. And you know, the the thing about uh, feedback, you had talked about this earlier that you have to have the right mindset. I, I hear often, particularly with someone whose business has never done any kind of formal feedback, they're they usually have a fear factor, right? They're afraid of negative mm-hmm. feedback. But I try to counsel them that first of all, the, the negative feedback that's where lots of the action lives. Right. If you think about it, why would a customer take the time to give you negative feedback in the first place? Why it tells they just, you where to focus, right? Why would, tells you but where to why focus. wouldn't the customers move on their merry way? The, when the customer takes the time to give you negative feedback, they're almost telling you they want you to be better. Mm, good right. Point. Otherwise, they wouldn't waste their time. And so you have to really pay attention to that. And when you see lots of customers saying the same thing, you know, in manufacturing, the Japanese have a word called kaizen, which means continuous improvement. You have to be looking at that and figuring out what can you put in place that is a continuous improvement cycle. And when you do that and you do that continually, guess what? Business gets better. It's, it's not hard. It's hard to do the work, but it's not hard to understand that concept. And so when I see my clients start doing that, they instantly the realize, oh my gosh, this is exactly how it's supposed to be. And that gives a lot of purpose to your company culture and your motive. To me, it would like, you know, it's something that I like, I know when the brands follow our feedback as their consultants or their e-commerce team, we're really like a fractional team and I see the results and their business is growing. Like, I mean, it makes me feel great about what I'm charging. You know, it makes me feel like I'm doing a good thing, um, which for me is a motivator um, to be like, yeah, I'm charging people for this thing. I believe that we're worth it. I'm telling them to do this. They're following those results that we're getting, whether it's like data from ads or Mm. data from feedback and we're collecting their feedback information or whatever the case might be and saying, hey, guys, this is how you should act on it or this is what you should do. And seeing those results really brings it full, full circle. For me to know that like hey we're on the right track at what marketology is doing for brands because of that loop right and seeing seeing the results for them and yours is probably a fraction of the cost of what it is to hire marketology right but you're seeing hey guys if you put this this into practice like look what they can do for your business it's crazy yeah if you, and if you're not doing that if you're not measuring that stuff then how do you make an improvement mm. if it's right? not measurable it's not what's the there's yeah, a cliche you, there's you, a saying out there you can't improve that which you do not measure correct thank right? you right and yep. I don't know how you do that. I don't, I don't know how you run a business today successfully without doing this very basic step. I mean, the one thing that we all have in common if we're in business, regardless of the kind of business you have, there's one thing we all have in common if we're in business. Paying customers. Paying customers. <laughs> right? Hopefully, yes. Well, no, if, if no, you do <laughs> Otherwise, it's called a hobby. It's not a business, right? Well, I, I know a lot of tech startups <laughs> that are not making any money. Yeah, so. well, that's, that might be a hobby. I mean, that they're, they're business wannabes, and they'll be they'll get there, right? It's you know they're, they're yep. trying to figure out their model. But generally speaking, not about specific startups, yep. but generally speaking, we all have paying customers in common. And you have to be listening to them. You've got to be doing something with them because someone wants your paying customer. And if you're not going to keep them really wowed, they're going someplace else. Yep. 100%. That's what we do. I love that. And I, I use almost the loop on the selling side too in regards to um, 
you know, knowing custom our customers, we know our customers well, and being able to like whenever I have a new client, introduce them to those said clients that are on our side. I know mm. how their business runs, even outside of my scope of work. You know, because we're getting we're getting feedback all the time on what their issues are, or what's going on, and um, I've I've built my company around the issues that our our clients tell us about through the years, right? So oh, we have an issue with map pricing, or oh, we have an issue with creative, or oh, we have an issue with hiring good writers, or like you know, and so I've built my company to solve for those things as we go, and that's what's resulted in Marknology is really solving all these pain points around the Amazon space. Um, but I use it on the sales side to say, hey, go talk to my clients that have been paying me for four years or three years or six months or whatever and ask them, you know, how they feel about their value, ask, get feedback from them um, because they, they can do so much sell, more selling in the digital world. They can do so much yeah. more selling than the person talking, you know, on the phone. Well, we have another thing we've got in common. You said this before, Marknology, you're all about the brand, right? It's all about building a brand. I mean, when I talk to my clients, particularly my larger clients, my franchise partners, that's what this is all about, right? So you take a franchise network as an example, and you've got local entrepreneurs that decide they're going to become a franchisee and start and run a business, right? And we, you, you're a mentor. I'm a mentor. You see all kinds of businesses. Franchisees are entrepreneurs, right? Yep. They're making the leap. It's a different kind of entrepreneur than the person that starts the next social network, but they're entrepreneurs regardless. And so from my point of view, my job at Loyalty Loop is to help the franchisee and the franchisor instrument up that business. So they're getting the feedback to create those great experiences, those wow experiences for their clients. Why? What's the purpose? Well, it's to make the businesses stronger. But if I can accomplish that at a local level, at a franchisee, they become stronger and that brand becomes more valuable in that local to everyone. And to then everyone. when you do that across the network and you provide the tools that allows a franchise or the franchise order look across their network, then it's that, that old adage that a rising tide lifts all ships. The whole of the brand gets stronger. That means they can sell more units, more franchise units. That means that everybody that's a franchisee makes more money. It's that constant loop of building great experiences that brings in more business, more word of mouth, and it just is a great cycle. Mic drop. We could end it right there. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's it. Fire. No, that's that's it. fire. We're done. I'm out of here. That's my story. I'm sticking with it. That's fire. I mean, that's that's everything anyone needs to hear on this episode is like, um, it's big picture, you know, and that's why I've moved up. Like we talked about manufacturers and whatever is I like the big picture thinkers. Those aren't the only ones. Right. But that's an easy example for me. No manufacturers in business in the short game. They're building they're building something for the longevity of it, right? Yep. And and so they're thinking in that mindset. And so I'm already aligned with them from the beginning because they're thinking how do we get better over time? How do we improve? Um, you know, it's doing the little things now that in two years from now we'll, we'll make big changes because we're just like continuing to to improve. Mm. Um, we're up on time. Okay. I want you to leave. I want you to leave any of the listeners with, uh, you know, just something that's uh, not directed or a question from me, you know, but just something that you would like to share. Uh, I think Matt DeCourcy calls it the founder freestyle, if that helps. But uh, just like something you want to leave with our listeners that that you specifically can share to anyone that's, um, you know, maybe maybe doubting, uh, you know, maybe doubting putting something like loyalty loop in their business or anything you want to share, honestly. Yeah, I guess there are a couple points I would want to share with everybody. I think when it, in my experience, when it comes to just running businesses, being around businesses, uh, starting businesses, and then even relative to the feedback side of things, I think it's a pretty simple thing. I think you want to treat people the way you'd want to be treated. It's that golden rule, right? If we treat people nicely and we treat people almost like they're family, 
right? The way you would treat a family member, but they're your customer, it's, it's going to work, right? No one wants to have a bad experience, period. And if you treat people nicely and treat them well, give them good value, they're going to be happy and they're going to come back and wow them by simply giving them that great experience. I don't think that's a hard thing to do to treat people nicely. No, um, I love that. And, and that's one thing. And the other thing I would leave uh, the existing businesses with one other message is don't assume that things are going well. That's back to measuring, right? If you think things are going well, but you don't have the data to convince yourself empirically that it is going well, then you want something like a loyalty loop to help you out, right? Don't assume that everything is going well and your customers are being wowed. Get the data behind it. I love it. I preach that all the time in my technology to brands we're talking to because a lot of them have never had this data before. They don't know about it, right? So I'm just telling them like, I have great ideas. You have great ideas. I have opinions. You have opinions. They're all, most of them are different. Some are the same. But I'm like, I don't have to build businesses that way anymore. And we can make decisions faster and more effective, like be right more of the time, um, you know, using data in an effective way. And like, it's like, let's not, let's not make a guess or an assumption. Instead, let's let the data tell us and direct us where to go next. Um, and there's like a lot of trust in that, you know, when you're, it's not that we have all the answers, but we're going to trust the data to tell us which way to go when the river forks, you know, it doesn't um, mean, it doesn't mean take away your intuition, just combine it with real data, right? You still exactly. have to be the entrepreneur, use your brain and figure things out, but use the data to inform that decision making. I love it. This has been awesome, John. It feels like uh, we've known each other a long time. It's been um, great, Andrew. Thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, once again, a big thank you to today's episode sponsor, Canva. With Canva, you can work together from wherever. Get on the same page as your team with seamless real-time collaboration. What you design today, explore and start designing for free at canva.com. We'll see you next time, Hustlers. Thanks, John. Thanks a lot, Andrew. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.